Last week, Pastor Sarah set aside the lectionary text to preach a wonderful sermon on on St. Valentine's Day. Today, we're going to go back to the lectionary, which means back to Matthew 5, which is the first third or so of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to preach mostly on the conclusion of that part, which is today's text, but in order to get the full meal deal, I'm going to go back and read last week's text too. Last week's text is not printed in the bulletin. Given the fact there weren't print copies the first time Jesus spoke these words, this might even enhance your experience. And so the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and then come and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, For it is the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. The Sermon on the Mount, it turns out, is one of those passages in Scripture that Christians really like a lot right up until they hear it. (laughs) Because, I mean, seriously, what in heaven's name do you make of some of the things Jesus says there? Example, that part where he says that looking lustfully at someone who is not your spouse is as serious a sin as actually having an adulterous physical sexual encounter with that person because what you're doing is actually committing adultery in your heart and God is every bit as interested in the purity of your heart as he is our actions, which is hard enough in terms of, my goodness, what do you do with that? But then in what sounds like just plain crazy talk, he goes on to say, that if your wandering eye causes you to sin, it is better to pluck it out and throw it away than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Let me offer this as an interpretive principle for certain portions of the Bible, including Matthew 5. Not everything that is meant to be taken seriously is therefore also meant to be taken literally. When I hear a passage like the one that equates lustful thoughts with acts of adultery and angry feelings with acts of murder, I like to think that I take them seriously enough, but not literally enough, to hear them telling me four things that I think seriously are probably worth bearing in mind. The first is that Jesus takes sin dead seriously. Don't believe me? Fast forward to the cross. The second is that if I think I've got it in me to earn my way into God's favor and into heaven by obeying God's law and therefore being sin-free as measured by Jesus' understanding of that law, I am dead wrong. Third is that we, who we are as the humans God created us to be, is not just defined by our actions the things that we do or don't do. It is also defined by the thoughts and the feelings that lie beneath our actions, the things we do and don't do. Which means, if that is true, that spiritual wellness is not possible without spiritual self-awareness. And the fourth thing is that if my sinful thoughts are as judged by God, as are my actions, then Roger, get down off of that high horse you like to ride sometimes because you have no right to be judging others for their actions. Which takes us to the end of Matthew 5 and the portion of the Sermon on the Mount that I do want to dig into a little bit today where Jesus, again, completely, I'm sure, meaning to be taken seriously, says these things. Someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. 
Let them slap that one too. And while the world says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, I say love your enemy. Because why? Because everybody and their brother in this world loves people who love them and is nice to people who are nice to them. But God loves and blesses both the loving and the unloving, the nice and the not nice, the righteous and the wicked. And you, if the kingdom not of this world but of heaven is something you are interested in, you must be perfect just like your Father in heaven is perfect. Which takes us to the title I gave to my sermon today, which I thought was just about perfect. The Sermon on the Mount, Real World or Really Crazy? Harrison Ford, a while back in a movie called Witness, played a tough Philadelphia police detective named John Book who uncovered corruption in his department and in order to protect himself and also to protect a young boy who had witnessed a murder, he hides out by going to live among the Pennsylvania Amish in the community that that little boy is from. In one scene in the movie, Detective Book, now in plain Amish garb, goes into town with several other of the Amish for a day of shopping. And while in town, their horses and buggies get snarled up in traffic with a car, full of, including one that is full of young city thug tough guys who confront the Amish and then start mocking them, including one of the young toughs who smears ice cream in the face of one of the young Amish men in order publicly to humiliate him. Detective Book gets up to respond, and as he does, an older Amish man puts his hand on his arm and says, that's not our way. Detective Book does not stop. He says, well, it is my way. And he proceeds to give those young thugs what they have coming. And I think most people who watch the movie are kind of glad that he does because you know what? They have it coming. Of course, that's just a movie. It's not the real world. Except that people like the Amish and others too in the real world regard the Sermon on the Mount as the heart and soul of the gospel and of the teachings of Jesus. And they do believe that things like loving your enemy and turning the other cheek are to be taken precisely, literally. My grandpa, Dykstra, Reverend B.D. Dykstra, in Reformed Church circles, he's actually kind of, kind of known. He thought the same thing. He spoke seven languages fluently, and knew his way around a half a dozen more. His doctoral studies were at Yale. He was an avid pacifist his whole life, including during World War II. This was not a popular position. On a professional level, it cost him immensely. He ended up making a living by publishing a Dutch newspaper and writing books of poetry and peddling around the countryside on his bicycle, selling them door to door. Well, it should cost him, right? Because taking a passage like loving your enemy and turning the other cheek seriously in the real world is seriously crazy, right? Mahatma Gandhi was not a Christian, but a Hindu. 
As a young man in the early 1900s, he became familiar with Christianity. He found many Christian concepts, including especially the idea that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He found that just about impossibly hard to comprehend. Ironically, a section of scripture he not only loved but found easy to comprehend were these very words from the Sermon on the Mount that many of us who are Christians think are so difficult when we hear them. In his autobiography, Gandhi said that the thought of not combating evil by physically combating it but by turning the other cheek to it, in his words, delighted me beyond measure. He became the guiding principle of his nonviolent campaign against British rule in India. Two quotes from this man who took Jesus not just seriously but absolutely literally. An eye for an eye will soon make the whole world blind. And first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. In the real world, Gandhi and his followers, following literally the words of Jesus, were instrumental in winning independence for India. Of course, the real world is still the real world. And in the real world in 1948, this courageous but gentle and nonviolent man was gunned down violently. Unlike Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. was a Christian, a pastor, who likewise told his followers to take Jesus' words about turning the other cheek and loving your neighbor, your enemy, literally. In March of 1965, peaceful rights, civil rights marchers trying to cross a bridge in Selma, Alabama, were met by police officers who not only blocked their way but launched tear gas at them and then charged into them and then with nightsticks beat and beat and kept on beating them and the protesters didn't fight back and it was all captured on TV, on news cameras, which played and played and replayed it all for all the world to see. Most historians agree that that moment, remembered still as Bloody Sunday, was arguably the most decisive and tide-turning victory in the entire civil rights movement. And the bloody victory was won not by those who used violence, but by those who opposed it nonviolently. Two quotes from this man, whose words of Jesus, who took those words absolutely literally. Peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek. Peace is also the means by which we will arrive at that goal. And darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. In the real world, Martin Luther King and his followers, following literally the words of Jesus, were instrumental 
in winning civil rights for blacks in America. Of course, the real world is still the real world. A world in which, on April 4, 1968, on a motel balcony in Memphis, this courageously nonviolent man was gunned down violently. Nelson Mandela, early in his life, was a believer in violent resistance as the only way to to, to overcome the awfully brutally violent and racist apartheid policies in place in South Africa in the 1950s and 60s. He was arrested and convicted and served 27 years in prison. Upon his release in 1990, He continued to be a leading voice for the end to South Africa's apartheid policies, but he had given up his belief that that should or could be accomplished with violence. Not only that, when apartheid would inevitably end, he said, it should be forgiveness and reconciliation and love, not revenge, that followed it. When apartheid was at last ended, it could have been a bloodbath with majority blacks heaping bloody revenge upon the minority whites who had bloodily oppressed them for years and years. But it wasn't. Because why? Because though not quoting Jesus directly, Mandela nevertheless followed him literally. My favorite quote from this senior statesman of nonviolence. Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. Unlike King and Gandhi, Mandela died of natural causes. In December of 2013, he was 95. As in the case of King and Gandhi, grief at his death spanned the globe. By the way, a partner of Mandela's in that effort was South African Bishop Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who wrote the words to the song that the youth choir will be singing at the second service. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. South Africa in the 1990s, United States in the 1960s, India decades before that, all of them real world places where real people in really violent situations saw violence overcome not by violence, but by people who took seriously and literally things that Jesus did say on the Sermon on the Mount, which are things that many have said couldn't possibly be taken seriously, literally in the real world, except by those who are either impossibly naive or certifiably nuts. For more irony, compare that naive teaching to a very real world place where nobody is naive. The place where Jesus first spoke these words. The place where he preached the Sermon on the Mount the very, very real world of the Mideast where eyeing for eyeing and toothing for toothing and bombing for bombing and killing for killing has been going on, well, for just about forever. 
How's that gone, really? Would you say? So, well, so that takes us to the end of Matthew 5, where I want to do is tie, what I want to do is tie it all together with a pretty bow and then say amen. Except when it comes to a passage like Matthew 5, I don't have a bow. I do believe. World War II comes to mind. I'm sorry, Grandpa. I do believe that there are times when violent responses to violence that is evil are necessary in this world. Not because it's necessarily the totally right thing to do, but because doing nothing at all while six million plus Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and others are murdered, doing nothing at all would be the totally wrong thing. And I do believe situations of domestic violence come to mind. I believe there are times when turning the other cheek and just taking it is the wrong thing. And I do believe that standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves, for example, I believe that the broken and unjust ways of the world must sometimes be confronted in ways that the world understands. And yet, and this is why I have no bow neatly to tie things up, while I truly do believe that the world has been made safer in some situations by people who didn't take these words of Jesus literally, truly, I nevertheless so, so, so respect the Gandhis, the Martin Luther King Juniors, the Nelson Mandelas, the Grandpas, who, taking these words absolutely, literally, didn't just make the world or some place in it safer. They each, in their own way, made the world and something about it better. And they were all willing and all did, each in their own way, to pay a high price personally for doing so. And finally, too, of course, I know that the one who spoke these words first in Matthew 5 didn't just speak them. I know that he took them literally all the way to a cross. A cross from which he said of the violent, including those who'd been violent beyond violent to him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, Father and Son, forgive us. And Holy Spirit, change us whenever we, wise with wisdom that is the world's but not yours, have no idea what we're doing and doing to each other and doing to others and thereby doing to you. Amen.